Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today I'm joined by Lisa Senecal and Maya May, the hosts of LPTV's We're Speaking, which airs Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern on The Lincoln Project's Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube channels. Lisa and Maya, welcome to the show. Hey, Reed. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Also joining me today and making her Lincoln Project podcast debut is Tedra Cobb, the president of Backroads PAC and the Democratic opponent of Elise Stefanik in New York's 21st Congressional District in the 2018 and 2020 elections. Tedra, welcome. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So, gang, today we're going to be talking about the Senate Republicans trying to derail the January 6th bipartisan commission, as well as taking a look at the evolution of Elise Stefanik and her rise within the House Republican Conference. But before that, LPTV's We're Speaking is back and better than ever. Lisa, tell us how it was to be back on the air. Your first show was Wednesday night. And also, you can always remember that you can watch the replay on YouTube at your convenience. So, Lisa, how'd it go? It was great. It felt so good to be back. I was missing being on the show and being with Maya and to reconnect with our audience again which was really great. So the mission of We're Speaking is to be able to amplify diverse voices talking about all of these issues that we're dealing with politically and socially right now, and hopefully do it in a really engaging way that's accessible and also gives people the kind of nuts and bolts tools that they need to be able to get engaged and be active citizens in our democracy. And so Maya, before I get to you, I just want to play a quick clip, Rob, of what y'all see as your vision for the show. Ever since we started doing the show together, it allowed me to connect and engage with politics on a deeper level. Coming from the comedy world, I think I was like, oh, politics is real sad. <laughs> and that's what I, it, it is. Yeah, and, you know, I've been really, I think it's great that we are figuring out how to work together um, to meet America where it's at. And so been thinking a lot about our mission, our, our renewed mission to help people people think critically uh, using humor to do so. Yeah, We're Speaking's mission is, you know, we're really here to try to uplift diverse voices, offer a platform and seek positive, actionable solutions to problems through thoughtful conversation, like mm -hmm. actually listening to other people and giving them an opportunity to speak and really hear what they're saying. Uh, go figure. Mm -hmm. And obviously we like to use some humor and, you know, part of the mission is definitely to kick the living shit out of Trumpism and save the democracy. Well, my amen to all of that. We are going to have you on one show where we just talk about comedy because I'm fascinated by that whole thing. But I think one thing I want to ask about is, you know, as you guys are putting these shows together every week and something we even wrestle with is how you take what can be seemingly complex or opaque issues and bring them to a place where people can understand them. You know, there is critical thinking involved. You got to think. But how do you get that to a place where you feel like, okay, the folks that are watching 
you know, aren't trying to search through gobbledygook or acronyms or lingo. So how do you guys see that? I think that's a great question, Reed. I think it's so important, like I said in the clip, to meet people where they're at. And I think sometimes when we're super immersed in the world, like we have this feeling that, oh, doesn't everybody already understand that our democracy is falling apart, that it's in jeopardy, that, you know, McConnell is blocking this commission? Everybody should know. And the fact is, is most Americans aren't immersed in that world in the way that we're immersed in that world. And I realize that even more so, you know, when we started doing this show. And so what I like to do is look at things from a step back. And when we're crafting the show, ask ourselves, what do people need to hear so that at the end of the show, they feel engaged and inspired to respond, to act? That it's not just, oh, this is interesting and this happened or this is filling me full of rage. You know, Lisa and I were talking about it yesterday and I was like, you know, I kind of working on this Venn diagram for our show, which is rage, optimism action and education and we're speaking is right there in the sweet spot and so the idea is that at the end of the show they're getting a little bit of all of that so just enough rage just enough rage just a dollop of rage yes it's the catalyst rage is the catalyst <laughs> a dollop of rage <laughs> well and so guys you know as you think through this what are you guys seeing as the things you'll be talking about here as we get deeper into the summer you know of 2021 it's hard to believe it's the summer of 21 for me, it's making sure that people realize that the next big election that we need to be paying attention to is not in 2024. The midterm elections, it's the ball game. We have to hold the House. We can't lose the Senate. Or we're going to really only have two years of a Biden presidency and so much of the stuff that could be accomplished won't be. And scary stuff that we don't want to have happen has a better chance of happening. So it's keeping people really focused on that and to make sure people understand because Donald Trump is not president anymore does not mean that he is not still the leader of the Republican Party. He controls it. He's calling the shots. I don't care what Mitch McConnell thinks. Trump is the head of the party and he is just as dangerous as he has always been. Well, and just a quick reminder for everyone, Trump will return to the rally stage next Saturday night, June 5th, at the North Carolina Republican Party Convention or whatever it is. So, you know, we will be making sure that next week we are supplying him with a plethora of things to remind him of who we are and his own weaknesses. But, you know, I want to use that as a segue to talking about, you know, the 2022 elections. And as we're recording this now, Republicans in the Senate are making their last ditch effort to derail a bipartisan commission on January 6th. It was reported by CNN today that Mitch McConnell has been personally calling and whipping members of his conference, saying it would be a, quote, personal favor to him if they voted against this commission. And so there's only a couple of things in my mind that this has to do with and their power and money, because it doesn't really come back to much other than that. But Tedra, you know, from your perspective, as someone who's also immersed in the political world, what does that look like to you sitting on the outside? Well, you've just said it when you said Mitch McConnell is calling people and saying for a personal favor to him. In other words, Mitch McConnell has put himself before the country. That's it. Full stop. Mitch McConnell is calling people and saying, do this for me. Don't investigate January 6th for the country. 
Don't investigate January 6th for the five people who lost their lives and their families and all of the police officers who were brutalized. Don't investigate because the American people deserve the truth. It is about me. And that's exactly what Mitch McConnell has just said. And so, Maya, as you look at this as someone, again, who lives thousands of miles away from Washington, D.C., but you spend enough time around politics, what do you think normal folks outside the Beltway are thinking? I mean, one, do you think folks are paying attention? And two, if they're not, how is it that we should explain the gravity of this moment? So I'm in the hierarchy of needs right now. People are struggling. You know, it's Mental Health Awareness Month. People are struggling. They're trying to figure out whether they're going to end up back in their offices, what they're doing with their kids and their you know, education. And so what Mitch McConnell is doing is not on the radar of the average American, not because we don't care. It's because right now we're suffering. And so in order to put this on the radar, I think people need to understand cause and effect. And I think that's one of the great things that the Lincoln Project does is keeping it at the forefront visually so people remember how they felt on January 6th when they were watching it. And then we need to then see what the end result will be if this commission does not happen, if we do sweep this under the rug. Like people need to know what is the catastrophe that awaits us. And I think that visual, whatever that is, I mean, that's a prediction, right? But that visual, I think, is going to be the captivating thing, right? We're storytellers at the end of the day. You know, this is like a choose your own adventure. So Lisa, you know, to extend on Maya's point, how do we take folks who are sort of politically exhausted, for lack of a better way to put it, and to Maya's point, worried about a whole bunch of things in a world that has dramatically changed? How do we get them to at least take an eyeball and say, this isn't normal, guys? I'll bring up the Franklin Project. And the work that they're doing is to talk about politics and get people civically engaged on a hyper-local level. And I think it's those conversations we need to be facilitating so people really understand what it means in their lives if we don't have a January 6th commission that investigates this. This will happen again, and it'll be better organized, and it'll be bigger. You don't stop things like that from happening again by ignoring them. And they will happen again unless not just the people who were there that day, the 400 and some odd people who had been arrested, but the people who were actually behind organizing it, encouraging it, inciting it. And those are elected Republicans who are going to be back up for re-election in 22. And they promoted sedition. We need to hold them accountable and get them out of office. They don't deserve to represent our democracy because they don't care about it. No, I think that's right. And practically speaking, McConnell needs this to die for several prominent reasons. There's the power and the money. It will drive away a lot of donors, it will probably force a lot of corporations to turn off the spigot of money again. And, you know, look, I don't know if you guys remember, but I grew up, I remember like Oliver North in those hearings. Those were all day, every day for weeks, right? And it was in some ways riveting. And I assume that this would be riveting too. And so Republicans, as you noted, both strategically and electorally must move past this, but also Tedra. This goes into the whole idea, and, and let's talk a little bit about someone you know in Elise Stefanik, is that it goes completely counter to the bodyguard of lies that is the idea that Donald Trump won the 2020 election. And so how do you see that now as we're going to this place where I assume, at least I sure as hell hope so, that the Democrats will do something independently if the Republicans don't come along? But how do you see that now, again, as someone who 
you know, Stefanik started as a George W. Bush Republican and now she's a Donald Trump Republican. Okay, so first and foremost, I think that what would be sad for the country, and I can't think of a better word at this moment, is to have Democrats do an investigation without Republicans. This was a bipartisan group in the House, and we should continue to say a bipartisan group brought it forward and the Senate must pass it, must do the investigation. I don't think we should stray from that message, period. The American people, we owe it to them to seek the truth, wherever that truth might lead us. That is what justice is. And so we deserve the truth. And I know there's a lot of the whataboutism and these people investigated that. I don't care. To me, anybody who starts to say whataboutism, I just say, this is not what this is about, period. This is about January 6th, what happened, and how are we going to move forward? So I think that's really important. And to the point of Elise Stefanik and all of the other folks who you know, keep saying things like, why are we looking at the past? We need to put aside the past. We need to move on from the past. We cannot move on from the past until we know exactly what happened, how it happened, and to prevent it from ever happening again. And we need to hold every single person accountable who participated in that in the big lie and in January 6th and in perpetuating the big lie. Well, am I when Republicans talk about this commission and why they don't need it, they have often said, well, if we're going to discuss 1-6, then we should discuss what happened in the summer of 2020, as if those two things are equitable or have anything to do with one another. You know, as a writer, I laugh every time they try to do it because it's trying to create a causality. It's such a red herring to try to bring that into the argument. And it's like, no, if we're going to go back in history, we're going to talk about the buildup to this, how, you know, all of the text messages that the Trump campaign was sending out was building up into this election about to be stolen. And so, you know, it's interesting, like as a comic, I always see things through that lens, right? And so if we don't hold them accountable, all we do is reinforce the premise that they've set forth which is <laughs> Donald Trump actually won the election. I mean, at least I think it's even more insidious than that. I think that they try and draw a parallel between the two because one of the things that is a main driver, frankly, of rage in the Republican Party, Maya, is the idea that millions of black votes appeared out of nowhere in Detroit and Philadelphia and Georgia and stole the election from Donald Trump, which we just know is not the case. But Republicans now are devoid of any sort of well, certainly a moral compass, but even a political one at that. It all comes back to race. Yeah, you know, it's been an ugly thread in the Republican Party for a very, very long time. And now it is just full blown out in the open. January 6th was about trying to negate the votes of millions of black voters. And now that is being used as a justification for proposing more than 400 bills across 47 states in our country to disenfranchise black voters to make sure when the next election rolls around, they don't have to worry about black people showing up at the polls because they've made it impossible for them to vote. It is so incredibly anti-democratic. And the idea that this is happening in our democracy is really astounding, but it is happening. I think we have this false sense of security in America. Like we're a democracy. This kind of thing happens in other places or this sort of thing ended with the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Movement. And no, this is us. This is what we're doing today. We are right back at it. And we really never stopped. Well, and Tedra, 
as you know, as someone who's run for public office, a lot of this comes down to the law of small numbers. And so, you know, Lisa talks about, you know, these anti-democratic bills that have been passed all over the place, more to come. And this is one thing I think we always need to understand as someone who grew up in this is that the, I don't know if it's Republican or conservative ecosystem is well-resourced, they're patient, and they're dedicated to what they're doing, right? And so they don't have to make sure that every black voter doesn't participate. They just have to make sure enough black voters don't participate. And so, Tedra, as someone who's been on the ballot, like, what does that look like from your perspective? Yeah, so I think there are two things. One, to Maya's point earlier when you asked about people, and Maya, you said people are worried about their lives. They're worried about finishing the school year with their kids. They're worried about getting back to work, putting food on the table, vaccinations, all of that. So all of these laws are passing because we can't possibly keep up. That's the strategy. The strategy is we cannot follow every state house. We can't follow all of those things. And so quietly, all of this is happening behind the scenes. Suppressing what happened on January 6th is happening behind the scenes. And quite frankly, this gets to why people have to run. Listen, if we don't run, Democrats or Republicans who are going to push back, then we're not going to win. I'm a Democrat. I ran for office in 2002 in a Republican rural district here in St. Lawrence County. I was told, you're never going to win. I knocked on doors. Lo and behold, I won. I served for eight years. Second term, I was unopposed. That's what it looks like. And I start my roots in local government. And local government to me is really about our community. It's about making the community better. And quite frankly, that's why I ran for office. I can look back at Elise Stefanik and say, first off, she never lived in this district. She started her campaign based on a lie. She's a carpetbagger. She's a carpetbagger. And, but more to the point, why is she willing to lie now? Because she always has. And if you look at every other election, she's lied about her opponents. She lies about her background. She's never been about leadership. She's always been about her personal rising star. And so I know it's tough for people who knew her when, and I hear lots of people say, I knew Lee Stefanik when she was an okay Republican or a normal Republican. But I look at Elise Stefanik and I say she has voted time and again against the people in this district. Just recently in the stimulus package, $100 million would have come to this district and she voted against it. So everything she does is about her rising star. Well, it's also because they don't care about governance. It's a performative role, not a governance role. So this is an interesting thing about communication because I'm not a communication expert at all. But, you know, we talked earlier about rage and people, love, we respond to rage. So what we do is we see Marjorie Taylor Greene and we retweet what she has said because we're horrified. And I think the saying is, screenshot your enemies, retweet your friends. And a lot of Democrats or activists don't understand that. So when we're angry, we retweet or we respond on Facebook to what somebody has said that's horrible. Ted Cruz, all of these folks say the most outrageous things, and then they're retweeted by people who are upset about it, and all we're doing is elevating them. So if you're upset, take a little screenshot and then use that, but don't retweet. And I think some of this is us educating people as well about how do we control, how do we manage, because these guys are using us they're using our frustration. They're using our rage. And then we're farther and farther behind. 
And Lisa, did I hear that you actually knew Stefanik at some point too? I did. Back when I had a political digital media company, Elise worked for me. And I was saying to Tedra before we came on today that I was one of those people who said she was a reasonably normal Republican. And what I mean by that is she functioned in the same realm of reality that the rest of us do. There were agreed upon facts. Things were real. We didn't have an alternate universe that the Republicans were functioning in. And now truth doesn't matter to the other side. It really is. It's a power and money grab. And clearly, all these deeply held beliefs that people like Elise Stefanik and most of the other Republicans who are in Congress right now, those deeply held beliefs that they say that they had, it meant nothing. It was Stuart Stevens' book. It was all a lie. Nothing was important enough that they pretended was important that when it was compared to power, we're still worth fighting for. Right. At the end of the day, it's about power, self-promotion, control. It's like an abusive relationship. Yeah. And, and it's hard to see a woman do that. We work so hard to get women in office. And then you get someone like Elise Stefanik in that seat when we could have had someone like Tedra Cobb <laughs> in the seat. Well, this is an interesting thing, watching new women who are elected, including Elise Stefanik. You know, one of the things she said early on when she ran was that she believed in equal pay for equal work, equal pay for women. She voted three times against equal pay. She voted against the Violence Against Women Act more than once. She voted against the ERA and said, maybe we should start all over again. And I think at the end of the day, you know, and certainly as a woman running against another woman, because people always said, you know, the press would sometimes ask, what's it like to run against another woman? And I would say, first off, if we were both men, you wouldn't ask that question. What's it like to run against another man? But secondly, you'd ask us about our policies and about how we feel about things. So let me talk about this. I believe in access to health care and et cetera, et cetera. Well, don't get me started on the questions that media should ask and yes. never gets to. <laughs> but Tedra, you're running something called the Backroads Pack. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So to me, it's important that we challenge every Republican and certainly we challenge every seditionist, including Elise Stefanik. And these rural districts are tough. So when I talk about Northern New York, you know, we're talking a little bit about normal Republicans, but New York sort of has this long history of Rockefeller Republicans, Republicans who are socially progressive. This district actually moved marriage equality. The Republican women in this district in the assembly were leaders in marriage equality. So running for office is so crucially important. So I come out of that tradition of sort of the, the purple Northern New York. The purple Northern New York is gone. Some districts have moved to the right. Some districts have moved bluer. Unfortunately, New York 21 has moved a bit to the right, but it's important to run. Why? Because it was important to hold Elise Stefanik accountable. It was important to tie her up. Listen, she spent $10 million in a race that she was probably going to win anyway, but that prevented her from being able to run around the rest of the country and help other people. So it's a strategy in that we have to challenge every Republican and we also have to hold them accountable and we have to give people a choice. If we say it's too hard, we're not gonna win in these districts and we don't run, then we won't win. 
So that's the reason. So I started Back Roads to make sure that every person who was running in a tough rural race would get the support that they need. Mentoring, coaching, skills training, financial support. We're doing some work with some data. We're really doing some deep dives to understand what's going on. Because here's the thing. These folks are putting their lives on hold to run for their communities. And they, every single one of them have really great reasons, whether it's a family healthcare situation as it was for me, or economic or farming or broadband and educating or working in their community economics. We need to support every single one of those. And that's where Backroads Pack comes in. And where can we find the Backroads Pack? Backroads Pack is backroadspack.com, just on the web. And if people want to sort of follow me because I'm using my Twitter still, it's just Tedra Cobb. And while we're doing the socials, Maya, where can we find you? I am at Maya on stage uh, on all the socials, including Peloton. <laughs> I have a Peloton and I have been on it, but that's as much as I can really say about it. <laughs> but you're not following Maya. <laughs> I didn't even know Maya was there. I mean, now you, you know. That's why I told you. I was like, right. you need to know I'm Maya on stage on everything. There we go. And Lisa, how about you? I am at LC Senecal on everything except Peloton, where I am at No Pain, No Cupcake. Nice. All right. And you can always, as always, find me on Twitter at Reed Galen. Well, Lisa, Maya, Tedra, thank you for joining me today. Again, everyone, tune in Wednesday nights, 8 p.m. on the Lincoln Project's YouTube, Twitter, Facebook pages to hear Lisa and Maya spread the good word. Listen, everyone, thank you so much. And to everybody out there, we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter at Project Lincoln. And for more information on our efforts to join our mailing list, and subscribe to our newsletter, visit lincolnproject.us. Also, be sure to check out our LPTV lineup, including The Breakdown with Tara Setmayer and Rick Wilson, which airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, as well as We're Speaking with Lisa Senecal and Maya May, which airs Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern. All shows you can stream live on The Lincoln Project's YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter pages. For The Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. See you on the next episode.